0: This is the Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore. We welcome Charlie Valera to the program. How are you doing, Charlie?
1: I'm doing great, Bob. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, it's good to have you with us. Charlie Valera is the author of the book, My Father's War, Memories from Our Honored World War II Soldiers. Charlie Valera has always had a fascination with World War II and knew his father was a World War II veteran, but never asked what life was like for him during the war. I mean, is your father's experiences recounted in the book, or what do you know of your of your father's time in the war?
1: You know, it's, it's interesting. No, first of all, there's almost nothing in the book about my own father's uh, war efforts. He really never brought it up. Barely mentioned it whatsoever. We knew he was a cook. We knew he was in, the, uh, he said he was in England 13 months, and that was about it. And it was years, many years later, like uh, at least a decade later, when I, after he passed away, that I got a copy of his discharge papers. And there were so many campaigns on there, I really didn't understand what they all meant. So I had a friend that was a, uh, uh, a Tuskegee Airman, and I had shown it to him and said, can you decipher this? And he just said, boy, I don't know this guy, but you really ought to thank him. He was everywhere. Hmm. Um, and so when I read that, and I thought, there must be other people out there whose dads didn't talk to them about it. I wonder why the old man never mentioned it.
0: What was your father's name?
1: It was John Valera, but they called his real name was Giovanni, mm-hmm. um, Italian descent. He was born here in America, but his parents were not. And um, so John Valera was uh, a corporal in the Air Corps, and just really downplayed the, like most of them,
0: mm-hmm. downplayed
1: the entire effort.
0: And not to, you know, continue on this theme, because again, it's not in your book, but did, was he in Europe or was he in the Pacific?
1: He was in Europe. So he started in England, like he had said, for 13 months. But then from there, I tracked his roll calls and he was at the Battle of the Bulge. He was in Normandy. He was in Poe Valley, Rome, Sicily. I mean, as a support group, these guys just got tossed to every major battle, any battle that was needed. Mm-hmm. And then I found out that, because I said, well, what did the, how do you cook during a battle? And he said, you don't. He said, they. when I say he, I'm talking about some of the other veterans mm-hmm. that I've interviewed. They pretty much confirmed that those type of support crew were just given guns and were told to fight the enemy like everybody else. Sure. Uh,
0: now... And your father was in the Air Corps, and you have become a pilot. I mean, you—you, you, uh, aviation's your field, right?
1: Yeah, um, I don't. You know, it's it's ironic. Actually, today it was 15 years ago today when I got my pilot's license, and so this is an anniversary for me. Uh, my dad didn't fly during the war. I don't rec- have any recollections of him flying say to Florida or anywhere afterwards, I believe I know they drove a lot and I know a lot of the guys came back and wouldn't fly again. Mm. Um, that was kind of a common trait that uh, maybe they flew during during the war as uh, support or pilots or gunners. So it was a different crew.
0: Where do you live?
1: I live in Massachusetts, central Massachusetts. and uh, of course as a pilot, I can get around pretty much anywhere. But I'm in
0: a a small little town called Lunenburg. Oh, I know know of Lunenburg, anyway. I do, you? that's
1: funny.
0: There's about 8,000 of us, probably. All right. Well, anyway, finish the thought. One of my high school teacher's parents ran a women's store in Lunenburg years ago. So, and yours is a pretty common experience, I would would say, uh, for the uh, offspring of, of the fighters from World War II, that... They didn't talk much about uh, the uh, their war experiences, so you decide you what you decided to write the book. And, and how did that come to be? How, how did you how did you pick the the veterans that you interviewed for the book?
1: You know, Bob, good question. It was very difficult to pick the. I had to have this big picture in mind. What did I want from this book? And I wanted it so that people like myself, who's parents were involved in World War II that didn't talk about it, would be able to find somebody in the book that they could relate to. So when I started interviewing, and I interviewed dozens and dozens of veterans, I tried to get a broad brush. I wanted somebody from the um, Marines over in the Pacific theater. I wanted a B-17 pilot. I wanted a Piper Cub pilot. I wanted gunners, uh, support guys, infantry, a little of everything so that we could read it and get a, a pretty good view of what the average uh, soldier's life was like. You know, almost like if we could turn the clocks back and sit with our dads or grandfathers and say, hey, so tell me what it was like. Mm-hmm. You know, how did you, what did you eat? How did you sleep? You know, did you really march behind a tank or sleep in the mud and sleep in the ice? And how long did you do that? Oh, you mean you really kept your boots on for a year? No way. You know, if we could do that, that's what I tried to accomplish. So when I I picked the soldiers for the book based on the stories they had as well as the uh, broad brush theory, I guess I call mm-hmm, it.
0: Mm-hmm. And it uh, took a three-year period of time, as I understand it, before the book uh, was published written by Charlie Valera. Again, it's called My Father's War. We'll uh, hear some of the stories when we come back on the Historians podcast. Do you want to mention that the Historians podcast is supported by our GoFundMe campaign? Uh, Please make a donation online at gofundme.com forward slash historians 2017. Or you can send a donation in the mail make the check out to me, Bob Cudmore. Send it to 125 Horstman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302. And thank you very much. We're talking with uh, Charlie Valera from Lunenburg, Massachusetts, uh, author of the book, My Father's War, Memories from uh, Our Honored World War II Soldiers. The um, I'm just going to want to go through the, the soldiers with you and maybe do as many as we can in the remaining time we have on uh, today's edition of the Historian's Podcast. The first um, soldier in the book is William Bill Purple. Can you tell us about him?
1: Yeah, Bill was a 17-year-old kid that decided to enlist uh, after right after they had heard uh, about the attack on Pearl Harbor. Uh, of course, he had no knowledge of where Pearl Harbor was. Uh, he ended up being a B-17 captain, elite pilot, no less. And the funny thing is, is as a kid, he was probably, by 18, 19 years old, he was flying these bombers. And again, it was a B-17. And he flew up over New England on his way to England. And his parents' house was in Athol, Mass. And he did a low pass over his house and and rocked his wings a few times. But it was a B-17. It was just, you know, 100-foot monster. Um, He ended up getting a Distinguished Flying Cross. Uh, He had uh, four times had serious aircraft problems that ended up uh, having to get him replaced, (laughs) if you know what I mean. He crashed Mm -hmm. four of them, and um, just an amazing character, just, you know, details of what it was like to be a kid in flying uh, uh, with that type of responsibility. As a, as a lead pilot. So he's got a. At one point, he had a 1,003 B 17s in tow um, heading over Berlin.
0: Huh. You mean so he was the lead plane, or his plane was the, the one in front? Is that what you're he saying?
1: Was, yeah, he was the lead pilot of the lead element with the rest of those bombers following him. So when his bombardier would drop their bombs, the rest behind them would take the lead. Hmm. Or, or take the follow.
0: The next uh, veteran in your book is Fern Frechette, who was a, a corporal. Can you tell us about Fern?
1: Yeah, Fern, uh, Fern was on the ground. Uh, Fern had it real tough as well. But he was just, a, he's a wonderful guy. Uh, but he had liberated or helped liberate concentration camps, hmm. such as Auschwitz and Buchenwald and some sub camps um the photos that they've shared with me that are in the book some of them like from fern are very disturbing but he took the photos and so they're not stock pictures he took them they're pretty brutal um he was also part of Patton's general Patton's ghost army which was kind of a a cool thing he didn't even know it was called the ghost army he was sworn to secrecy for like 40 years just in case we needed to use that method of.
0: Uh... You don't get it. I mean, what was the ghost army? I don't.
1: Okay, the ghost. Sorry, the ghost army. Um, we had to pretend in England that we had thirty thousand troops ready to invade northern France, while the entire time we had troops trying to invade Normandy. Mm-hmm. And so to throw the Germans off, they would have the, again, how do you make 3,000 troops sound like 30,000? They would put speakers up on these big, almost like telephone poles, and they would blast all this noise across the English Channel, knowing that the Germans would hear it. And then every day they would put, like, pretend wooden aircraft and move them around every night uh, that were on the ground so that when the reconnaissance flights from the Germans would fly over, they Mm -hmm. would see that, yeah, there is movement down there. Yeah, they're up to something over there. But everything was phony, like four guys would pick up this pretend tank and move it around. and, And every day they had to do something to make it look and sound like there was a lot of troop movement over there.
0: I don't know if Churchill actually said it, but I remember years ago interviewing, I want to say his name was Anthony Cave Brown, and this was years ago, and he was one of the first authors to unveil the the secrets of the British code-breaking operations, and this was in the 1980s, but the quote was that, in wartime, truth is so precious, she must be guided, uh, guarded by a bodyguard of lies. Yeah,
1: yeah, that that makes sense. It was... There's one story where I had heard they had taken a uh, a body actually I, I don't know it was not a German soldier but they put him in Germ- in the German uniform and they put notes in him uh referring to the invasion of northern France and sent the cadaver uh off to um the, off to France so that no one the Germans would get it. it was just one little piece one little more lie that they could rely on. Mm-hmm. And, th- th- you know, to outmaneuver, I mean, the Germans are pretty smart foes. They, they've been doing this for a while. Um, but I believe that we ended up calling in, like, Hollywood advisors, movie producers, mm-hmm. to show this big pretend movie set. And Fern was part of that, which, you know, he hardly recognizes his, his efforts. Like, all these guys, they're just so humble. And that's one of the reasons why they didn't talk about it. Mm -hmm.
0: The next uh, man in your book is Thomas McDonald. Uh, Once again, uh, he was in the the Air Corps, correct?
1: Yeah, Tom was a navigator. And uh, he had just gotten married actually like four weeks before um, being shipped over. He was a navigator on a B-17 and was shot down twice. The second time he was captured by uh, the Germans, and ends up spending a year as a prisoner of war in Stalag 3, which was the one used for, uh, like, the movie The Great Escape. Mm-hmm. And that occurred just before Tom had arrived, which my research shows that as they were, the Germans, when they captured all those uh, prisoners, or recaptured them, they executed them, one at a time, every now and then, just to show people how difficult it will be if you try to escape. And at that point, Tom was definitely there. But on Tom's six-month wedding anniversary, he had already been a prisoner of war for three months. Um, talking to his family, they got they had, they had received so much um, like inner strength, knowing, geez, you know, my father was a prisoner of war. What am I complaining about? You know what I mean? If you yeah. if you look, put things in certain perspective. So Tom and his wife Elaine are, fe- are featured uh, veterans because I wanted to know from Elaine what was it like for you while he was over there. How did you get through? You know, what did you do? How was your work? How was right. your day?
0: What What did did they were they able to communicate at all by by letter or when he was imprisoned or no?
1: Yes, they did And packages and. Uh, I do have copies in the book of his letters, Um, amazing letters. Um, So, yes, they were able to communicate. And, of course, everything was censored, and she was mad as hell because they put a a black line through every other word. And Tom didn't know any better. He was just trying to send whatever he could. Mm -hmm. Um, So she was annoyed, saying, Boy, they keep trying to ruin my letters from my husband. I don't know what's going on. Um, But, yes, they did communicate. There's an amazing letter that... Uh, I did receive from them that, uh, talk that Tom wrote to Elaine as he was climbing through, like, 19 or 20,000 feet. Um, but the letter went back and forth between, you know, so are uh, you going to the dance this weekend? Back to, well, we're climbing up through 10,000 feet. We need to put our oxygen masks on now. To Back to, uh, how's your mother? And it was just, you could tell it was difficult for him to be away, but he knew he had a job to do that was uh, very important.
0: How was he uh, freed? How did that happen?
1: Uh, He was liberated um, Mm -hmm. from the, uh, when the Germans surrendered. Mm.
0: And where was he from?
1: Originally from Charlestown, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. Just outside of Boston.
0: Sure. And did he come back there?
1: He did for a while, and then he, Ended up uh, in Central Mass over in Leominster. Um, what I tried to do was, again, it just I was kind of lucky that this, the veterans that I found were somewhat close to me, but they would apply to anybody that was in mm-hmm. World War II that was part of that support group, okay. if you know what I mean, sure. uh, the support system.
0: Um, and on the, on the next... Uh, Veteran you d- describe in the in the book My Father's War is George Pelletier. He, uh, he 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 fought on on land, right? Or he was in the army?
1: Yeah, he. Uh, you know, it's like these guys all had it so tough. George was actually part of the Battle of the Bulge, and so he gets in great detail as to what it was like to go three days without food or in water, uh, and to to get a little bit of water from rain or wherever you could get it uh, and drink it out of their, uh, jackets. Mm. Um, and knowing that you were surrounded, but you weren't giving up. Nobody was giving up. Um, so yeah, George, George had a really difficult being on the ground, uh, during the battle of the bulge, which as you probably know, that anniversary is coming up, um, pretty soon, December 16th to January 25th. Um, 35 days, and I think there was um, 180,000 soldiers killed Mm -hmm. in 35 days, pretty much probably the most brutal battle of all. I do
0: want to bring this up, and I'm having a bit of a memory lapse, but if people want to look it up on the Archives of the Historians podcast, I want to say her name is Hosingen, uh, but a woman who was the offspring of a Battle of the Bulge veteran has done a... A, a really very detailed uh, book on that and uh, on the battle of the bulge and those who were captured and um those who died in, in the various uh, parts of the war are you familiar with her that?
1: I, I am to your um to your podcast okay so very good it is it is there and it's very good uh yeah i did get to listen to that so yeah. that's one if you want further information uh definitely look it up
0: and the next uh, veteran that uh, Charlie has described in his book is a Corporal uh, Charles Sanderson. What was his experience?
1: Charlie Sanderson was a truck driver. Um, he was supposed to be driving trucks for, like, the Red Ball Express, which was um, a, li- a, a line of trucks that were bringing supplies to the front uh because the front was moving so fast so rapidly as the war went on after nineteen forty three when we turned the tide on the war in favor of the Allies they needed to move supplies. So anyhow that was part of what Charlie Sanderson did. But on the other hand he ends up on the beaches in Normandy about a week after the initial D Day. He can't swim, he's in an L S T and he's the first truck that's supposed to come off. They get stuck in a crater, and so the the LST can't move. And uh, his commanding officer is yelling at him, you know, "Open that gate! Let's go! Let's get everyone out of here!" And they couldn't because the water was really deep. The thing would have flipped over. Everything would have been getting, gotten destroyed, and probably killed everybody in the in the LST, the the, the landing ship tank, uh, mm-hmm. as it's called. Um, low slow target i think he called it <laughs> i see and but he said it was you know for 2 hours they had to sit there and wait for the tide to come out and the whole time it was just a nonstop shelling bombing shooting disaster and by the time they get on shore uh he gets in a kind of detail about what he what he saw what it looked like hmm. pretty tough stuff
0: yes and, and now we come to uh a man who served uh, in the South Pacific, Al Pinard.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, again, another uh, humble soldier. Al's story was that he was supposed to be a mechanic. So he goes to aircraft mechanic uh, training. He ends up in the South Pacific as a Marine. And at first, that's what he's doing. He's replacing engines on Corsairs and and that type of uh, fighter aircraft. He comes home. He gets to come home for 30 days. They send him back to the South Pacific, only now he's in a dauntless dive bomber. So now he's in the back seat of a dive bomber, mm-hmm. flying, looking for targets of opportunity, as they would call it. Um, and for those that don't know, that's a two-seater aircraft, and you sit back to back. So you're not facing anybody other than people trying to kill you. Um, and he gets in into detail what it was like to fly in one of those, how he would overcome the the G-forces, because he didn't know when they were coming on. He wasn't flying. He was shooting a 15-millimeter gun and doing radio work, navigating, and hoping to survive the next uh, attack.
0: Now, maybe a a general question. The the veterans you talk with, when they talk with you, are you among the first people that heard these stories or are— um, mo- most of these are all of these uh, people or gentlemen telling uh, they were uh, people who shared uh, the, what happened to them in World War II. Uh,
1: most of the times, none of these stories have been talked about with even their own families. Even the ones that have spoken with their families about some of their efforts never gotten into much detail like I have mm. because I kind of, you know, I... When I interviewed these guys, most of the times I had to go back three, four, five, six, seven times. To, and I would record what they were saying, either in audio or video. So I wasn't writing what I thought I heard. Okay. Um, I there was writing what they said. So there's a lot of first hand emotion uh, that I tried to put in there because it's not about me or, or my father. It's about everyone else's. So most of the information was... Pretty much even the photographs had never not been seen. They didn't shown with anybody. They just kept them tucked away in a, uh, in a box in the attic somewhere.
0: Was it difficult to get them to talk?
1: Yeah, uh, it was. Uh, for the most part, I would say the majority of them it was. Um, it, yeah, they didn't want to. You know, I guess the feeling, first of all, was I'm no hero, so who wants to hear what I did? When in fact, we know better. Um, the other part was because I wasn't there, I wouldn't know what it was like. And that was another common trait that I had heard from all of them. Well, you know, and that's why they didn't talk about it. They didn't say it to my face. Well, you wouldn't understand, you know, but I know that's what they were thinking. Sure. And some of them would tell me that later because we've become friends.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, when I do book signings or events, I encourage them all to be there as many as want to show
0: up mm-hmm so, it, yeah yeah I'm just going down through the the list here because we're now we have about uh, a few more minutes left in the p- program let me skip ahead to uh, Buck Rogers Charlie yeah. Buck Rogers can you tell us about him
1: Yeah Charlie Rogers great guy um, Charlie was born in Geneva New York he went to Geneva high graduated in 1938 He ended up being a cub pilot Piper cub. You know, that's a little two-seater. The thing barely goes 65 miles an hour and just flies over the treetops. He was what's called a forward observer. So he would go out, find out where the bad guys were. Even, so he was on the front line at all times, and he was crossing the front line. He flew about 120 missions, and he flew just about every day. And his job was to go out, find out where the guys were, radio back their exact locations so the Allies, the Americans, would know where to shoot their Howitzer cannons. Mm-hmm. The bad thing with that is he's in the middle of a crossfire at all times. Mm-hmm. The attrition rate had have been phenomenal, and I have not been able to find out um, much about it. Now, his, his dad, worth noting, was a three-time mayor. I believe in Geneva. Um, so he's a, a New York upstate boy at the Finger, Le- Finger Lakes area, and uh, they ended up calling him Buck Rogers—quite <laughs> the guy. Okay, he's still around and still doing well, and just a great guy.
0: And let me ask you about uh, Santo DeSalvo. Who was uh, he? Uh,
1: Santo was—he uh, was the only one. Well, you know, everybody was kind of had their own niches, but Santo was infantry. So he marched in the mud. He jumped on the tanks while they were, you know, going through the uh, invasion of, uh, of of Europe. Um, he just dis- he ended up with a he earned the Distinguished Service Cross mm-hmm. um, and a Purple Heart. And uh, yeah, he did sleep in the mud. He did sleep in the rain. You just kind of lay down wherever you were, or you took half your tent and met up with another soldier and. And he had half a tent, so he pitched a whole tent. But he was part of the North Africa uh, invasion. Then he went to Italy, to Salerno. Very difficult, regular battles, the kind that you see on TV where they have to go building to building
0: mm-hmm.
1: and empty them out. He actually saved his entire it was a unit. They were pinned down in a field. And they couldn't get up. They couldn't retreat. They couldn't advance. They couldn't stick their heads up out of the foxholes. And he took it upon himself to advance alone and take out the uh, the enemy uh, gunnery that was keeping them down. Just an amazing, uh, uh, you know, will. I don't know how else
0: to, mm. to and, and say we're, that. Again, we're running short on time, but a, a general question: How did? These men address what we call today a PTSD or post traumatic stress disorder. Um, or, or was it addressed? My recollection was it really wasn't when they came
1: back. That's correct. It was not. You know, sometimes they called it shell shock, you know. But guys, especially um, Charlie uh, Rogers, saw a real lot of it because, you know, it was close. One guy in the plane with him. And he said, you know, the, the guy, one guy came back, he, wouldn't, he couldn't stop crying. He wouldn't get back in a plane. He, he just couldn't do it, and he just totally lost it. And Charlie doesn't know why he didn't or why it didn't bother him at the time. It did. He just didn't realize it until years later. Like most of these guys, uh, that PTSD just didn't, the words didn't exist. And it was just something that you accepted. Well, you know, war is tough, and it's brutal, mm-hmm. and it's not for everybody. So one man at a time, one day at a time.
0: We've been talking with Charlie Valera. His book is called My Father's War, Memories from Our Honored World War II Soldiers. Uh, It's available uh, online. and You're on Amazon and so forth?
1: That's correct. Okay.
0: Very good. Uh, Thank you very much uh, for being with us, uh, Charlie Valera. Again, the title of the book, My Father's War. You've been listening to The Historian's Podcast. This is Bob Cutmore.